to be great artists. My name is Matt Anderson. I am your mediocre host. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have not done so, please subscribe to this podcast. And uh, if you've got 30 seconds to click five stars and give a nice little review, that will improve our visibility as well. Well, we're in the midst of a series right now uh, called People Who Made Things. We are examining uh, objects in the Bible that were built, uh, and the people who made them. And some of those things honored God and some did not. Uh, but there are things that can be learned from both examples. So we're just taking a look at what these different creators did or did not do and some takeaways to help us as uh, creative people. To this point, we've talked about the ark and Noah uh, and then the Tower of Babel. Then we moved on to the tabernacle, and uh, then the golden calf was our, our last session. And now, this week's creator is Moses himself. Now, we've, we've kind of been centered on Moses and the Israelites here for, for three episodes. Um, Moses uh, leads the people out of Egypt. Of course, God delivers them. And uh, eventually the Lord takes them to Mount Sinai, and that's kind of where so much of this happens. And Moses goes up uh, on the mountain to receive instruction from the Lord, and the Lord lays out the specifics of the tabernacle and the objects that are a part of it. Uh, We covered that already. And then he was up there for so long that the people started thinking, I don't know, he's gone or something. He, He went on a hiatus. And they went to Aaron, the high priest, and said, uh, you better come up with something for us to worship because uh, the, the Moses dude, he's like gone. And so out came the, uh, the golden calf that was fashioned by Aaron. So here we go now with this week's, uh, this week's uh, installment where uh, Moses is going to be asked to make an image I, I know. I mean, you just heard what I said, right? The golden calf was an image that Aaron made. But believe it or not, Moses is about to be instructed by God to do this. Well, we'll get to why in a moment. But if you read through Exodus and Numbers, the second and fourth books of the Bible, that really details the travels of the Israelites through the desert. And as you see their travels, the ups and downs, the wins, the losses, there are a number of repeating themes that keep coming up. Uh, One of those is complaining. (laughs) It's a recurring problem. And, uh, you know, thankfully, it's something we've all conquered uh, by now in our lives. But back thousands of years ago, this was a real issue with the people of God. They were complaining when they when they felt any sense of deprivation. And sometimes they, they went without, or food and water were sometimes scarce. And when they were in that spot, like we would do, um, they were frustrated and angry. They let Moses have it and really God have it. 
And God would respond to those complaints in different ways along the road. Sometimes he would be very patient and graceful, and he would provide something. Uh, Other times, uh, he'd go the opposite way. Um, For instance, in response to an earlier complaint from a lack of food, uh, God provided a food they had never seen before, and it would appear on the ground each day. Uh, It sort of had a taste of honey to it. And um, in fact, it was called manna, which literally meant, what is it? Uh, Because they had never seen anything like it before. And it would appear in the morning. They were intended to uh, collect enough for that day for them and their family. Um, And you couldn't keep it overnight. It would spoil. Uh, That kind of like me when I buy lettuce for some reason. Uh, But this this would happen each day. Uh, The exception was the day before the Sabbath, when two days worth would appear. They would collect for those two days, and thereby they would not have to collect or work on the Sabbath. So they've been going at this for a while now, and Numbers 21 gives us a a new story. Verse 4, from Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Okay. So God's not going to care for that very much. Verse 6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, here we go. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Verse 9, so Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is a very unique story. Um, in this, uh, in the tale of the Israelites, where uh, God isn't particularly thrilled with uh, His people at the moment, and so when it says fiery serpents, a lot of people believe it was uh, it was really the uh, the effect of their bite. It, it it left one's skin feeling like it was on fire, uh, or some say they were red in color. Regardless, the effect was deadly. And the Lord instructs Moses, and it's really interesting. There wasn't anything that he was to say. Uh, he, he usually used that staff of his to do something. Nope, not involved this time. He says, I want you to make a bronze snake and set it so that it looks like it's on a pole. So it's kind of twisted around it, you know. And then the people look at it, and they'll be healed of, uh, of the effects of the snakes. All right, so what what does this help us to understand as creative people? <laughs> and you're like, oh boy, I can't wait to see where this goes. Well, sometimes 
Art is reactive. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of doing anything reactively. Um, when I was uh, doing the regular like weekly preaching thing, um, I wasn't the kind of guy who would uh, go online and it, you know look at headlines on my favorite news source to give me an idea what I was going to preach on that week. Now, granted, sometimes there are things that occur. There are things that occur in, in government, in culture, politics that um, probably should be responded to. I think those times are rare uh, because I don't want to be the uh, um, I don't want to be wagging the dog, in a sense, the tail wagging the dog in preaching. Now there are pros and cons to doing art reactively. I think one, a pro, is passion. Uh, something occurs, and now we want to make something in reaction to that. And obviously, passion is involved. But passion can be our best friend or our worst enemy because the passion can override our judgment. And it's a delicate balance in art. We don't want it to be so passionless that uh, we have no emotion towards it at all. However, if we do things too quickly, I mean, it's, it's like social media. If we do it too quickly, uh, we'll do something that we can't take back. And it, it, it could cost us in a number of ways. But there are times when it has to be done. But if we're going to do art reactively, we have to make sure that all of our personal venom gets out first. I think prayer is the perfect method for that. We need to be able to talk to the Lord about what we're frustrated with. And it's not him. It's, you know, it's something else. It's something that's happening in life or in the country. And we just, we just tell God our frustration about it. And I think it's important for us to do that and get all of that out before we start creating. Otherwise, uh, the agenda is going to really lead the art uh, and it's going to be way out in front. Um, and, and now granted, when we do things reactively, and again, sometimes you have to do it and there's timing involved. And so there's, you know, a limited amount of, of time to get this thing done. Um, so we have to make sure we're in the best headspace possible because if we wait too long, we'll miss the opportunity. Um, depending on what that issue is. So we, we just have to make sure that all the animus that we might have on a particular topic is, is out of our system so that we can create effectively. But we got to keep in mind, it will put a niche on the quality because we've had to do it quicker than normal. Now, here with the bronze snake, to put it in architectural terms, this was reactive, clearly. People are being bit and dying. So this was God's instruction, make this. So to put it in architectural terms, the bronze snake was more function than form. You know, this wasn't intended to be something that hung in a museum. You know, this, this, this wasn't going to be a work of art. Uh, it, this is strictly utilitarian in nature. This is a get-or-done art. Um, but, but still, the image being made, the purpose of it, 
was it was going to provide healing for the people. So it didn't need to be pretty. It needed to be completed. And that's not really the kind of art we like to do. But again, when timing is in play, we do have to maybe sacrifice some of the quality in order to have it done for the desired effect. Now, what's interesting is God isn't very specific here about how he wants it done. He just says, bronze snake on a pole, go. This isn't like the tabernacle where very specific measurements were laid out in colors and materials. I mean, he just tells Moses, do it. No schematic on how long the pole should be, uh, how long the snake should be, what it should look like, nothing of that nature. And in practice, this is probably most like our experience creatively. We hear from God for something. Uh, We have a mission or a goal for a work. We're inspired. And, you know, the Holy Spirit might say, write a play about this topic or choreograph a work that features this problem or issue. And that's it. No, no detail on anything else. He, he then just leaves it up to us uh, to see how we get there. And that really does seem to be the normal pace in creating with the Lord. Um, there were a few specific items that needed to be made with detailed specifications like the tabernacle, uh, the ark too, of course, the temple later. But that's because it was the place of God's presence, the tabernacle and, and the temple. This is where God's presence would be. You don't mess around with stuff there. Most of the time, though, we get just a general theme for something. And then the Lord hands us the baton. And I really like that, by the way, because it shows that the Lord trusts us as artists. He doesn't insult our intelligence by saying, okay, you're probably going to screw it up here. So here's what I want. I want three acts. I want 10 characters. He doesn't do that. He trusts us to put it together. Have you stopped to think about that recently? I know it may be the source of your greatest frustration as an artist because it feels so wide open. It's not meant to be frustrating, though. This is meant to be a compliment. The Lord is saying, here, you've got the goods. Uh, Do something on this. Go. And sometimes it just comes out of your your own personal need. I, I remember when I wrote the book Weekend with God, it was initially based on the fact that I wanted to do that. I wanted to devote a couple of days, uh, unplug from everything, and do sort of an intensive uh, with the Lord. There was, I just needed to hear from Him. And then I looked around and I couldn't find anything. And I thought, well, I guess, you know, I, I could just go to some campground somewhere and, you know, me and a Bible and a journal and here we go. But I'm not really great with unstructured time like that. And so out of that, the Lord was like, well, why don't you create something? Help people to do that and do something that's plug and play. Oh, okay. And that, I mean, that was it. And now I had to come up with the weekend. (laughs) 
<laughs> but he trusted me to get that done. I don't think we stop and think about that enough. I mean, worship and thank the Lord that he trusts you that much. He thinks you can figure this out as we depend on his strength. I mean, he wants what we make then to be a healing agent that he uses for his glory. And and keep, keep in mind that the goal is to bring praise to the Lord, not our work. We always have to keep that in mind. And especially in a moment on this podcast, we'll see why. Okay, so again, what's with God telling Moses to make an image? Didn't he say in the Ten Commandments, you shouldn't make for yourself any graven image? Well, the point is, this was not an idol. It was a symbol. Now, they didn't know that yet. Nobody but the Lord knew it at the time. But what was actually happening was a precursor of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. <laughs> now you're like, oh, okay, dude, you're, you're going way too far now. How A snake on a pole is like Jesus on the cross? Well, don't get mad at me. Here's what Jesus said himself in John chapter 3. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So that's, uh, don't get mad at me. God was working on four-dimensional chess yet again. He's, he's just always working on a whole other level. And of course, the people were way too desperate. And Moses probably had no idea either to reason out what's going on big picture. All they know is people are dying, help. But God is always a million steps ahead. But it would point to a fact that as we look to Jesus on the cross, we can find ultimate healing for our lives. God is always a million steps ahead. Keep that in mind in your life. By the way, just a little trivia fact. And I know like Wikipedia won't agree with me on this. But you know, one of the universal symbols of medicine is known as the caduceus, which is a depiction of two snakes wrapped around a staff. Now, if you know, if if you read these articles, they'll go into all this. They're like, well, it, all, it begins in the fourth century with the Greeks and Homer, and, and you're like, okay, yeah, you you go ahead and do those mental gymnastics. Uh, Old Testament has a snake on a pole, so you work with that. God's always way ahead of stuff, and in this case, it was something very simple something very rudimentary that Moses was asked to make. It probably even wasn't all that gorgeous. There wasn't time for gorgeous. (laughs) But it got people healed. And you never know. I mean, how many musical artists say it was the throwaway song in the album that became their most famous? We just don't know the effect of what we're making. So we just better do what God says.
If you enjoy the MattCast, we could always use your help. The one thing that keeps me from doing more episodes is time. Doing a podcast isn't usually a profitable venture, so I have to spend a lot of time doing side hustles in order to stay afloat. But you can help with that by going to my website, mattministry.com, mattministry.com, and click on the support button. There you can contribute financially uh, to what I do here and help me focus more and more on creative endeavors. Just go to mattministry.com slash support and give as you feel led. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. Okay, in our remaining time, um, I want us to uh, look at one more aspect of the bronze snake here. Uh, but first, you know, when I was growing up in church as a kid, um, it was our communion table. Now, you you probably have one of these uh, in your church growing up as well, or, or maybe now. Um, it was that thing that was viewed as something more than it was. And the communion table in our church, I mean, to even move it was, was akin to, you know, moving the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and, uh, and you stop and you go, okay, this is, this is just made of wood, right? And we, we put fake golden plates on, okay, just checking. But it's that tendency that we have to want to worship created things instead of the creator. Now, and again, now don't hear me wrong. I don't say we should have a lack of reverence in the house of God or we, we act like we're in our living room when we're at church. But again, th- these things aren't sacred um, artifacts. You know, th- these aren't the actual items in the tabernacle. But every church has them. They're sacred cows. Uh, It was something that was probably made or donated years or decades ago that has acquired the status of holy relic. Um, And to us, it can only be touched by the Levites, you know. And since we don't know where the Levites are today, it's not going anywhere, mister. Here's why I mention this. The bronze snake accomplished its purpose with Moses in the wilderness, heals those who were inflicted of the poisonous snake bites. And that's really the last we hear of it. Until over 800 years later. More than 800 years. Think about that. The United States is not quite 250 years old. This is more than triple that over 800 years later in the scripture, it's in second Kings 18. 
Listen to this. Maybe you've never heard this aspect before. In the third year of Hosea, king of Israel, Hezekiah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars, these are all like idols, and cut down the Asherah. Okay? Those are all like traditional idols. And evil kings would build them up again, and then the godly kings would tear them down, and up and down and up and down we go. And if you read through Kings and Chronicles, you'll see that. But listen to this little nugget. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So over 800 years had passed since Moses had made the snake. And what started as basically a stopgap measure for a one-time crisis, you know, just for some snake bites, has eventually become an object of worship. God's people are burning incense to it as if required or demanded uh, by spiritual law to adore and worship. I mean, this is how it goes, though. The created thing gets the focus instead of the creator. And King Hezekiah was uh, brave enough to, to break it apart. Can you imagine? Whew. I mean, an 800-year thing to suddenly say, it's over. That took a lot of courage. So let's remember that works of art are just that. They're works. They're not spiritual objects that require our allegiance and affection. Yeah, and I did a podcast on the, the crazy environmental crowd in Europe who are gluing themselves you know, to works of art or throwing stuff on them. And I, I recognize you know, these are, are great works. They're not objects of worship, but still, you know, I don't want harm to come to them. But it's not like I'm losing a pet or a child. Now, put it from our aspect as people who make things. We are most fortunate if what we make lasts for even a few years, let alone generations. I mean, that, you know, the few and far between are, are those works. But that's all they are. I know we'll have certain things that really inspire us. There will be certain books. There will be certain visuals, certain songs. But that's all they are. Their works. And the people who made them are incredibly flawed. And all we have to do is look at ourselves to be reminded of that. But what we also have to remember is, even if we, we make something that becomes very successful and well-known, we cannot control what happens to it long after we're gone. We have no control over that. I mean... Could you imagine if somebody took a book I wrote and like 200 years from now, they turn it into like sacred text? <laughs> oh, people, people, no, please. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Most of the stuff we make will be 
rather quickly forgotten. And all we can ask for is something that happens in the moment. But even if we're fortunate enough to have something that lasts through some amount of time, we really can't control how it's perceived. It's just important for us to keep a right perspective on all things created and to keep the Romans 1 stuff in mind that we don't fall into the worshiping created things rather than the creator because it sets us on a really horrible road. So let me ask you, are there sacred things within you that God is not able to touch? Do you have a one or two kind of zones that you've reserved for yourself? And if the Holy Spirit starts messing, we distract ourselves or we... Uh, or worse, we, we just become quite angry. And we're like, how dare you? I have so little, you know. If there is something God cannot put his hand to, what does that say about it? It means we're... We're turning a work into a worship. Are there things that we've tolerated and we've just kind of kept hanging around for a long time? And we know, come on, it's just you and me here, right? We know it's not healthy. We know it's not beneficial to our heart and to our mind. We keep it around. It may be a, a toxic relationship. It might be a friendship that brings out the worst in us. It might be a habit, something that's ne- not necessarily obvious, but, but something that causes us to devote way too much time and energy towards. As we walk this thing out, as we do that sanctification thing in our life, the Holy Spirit will point out those areas. By the way, when he's doing that, he's telling us you're ready to be done with it. He has assessed our level of maturity in Christ, and he is telling us it's time. Much like with Hezekiah, he knew God was telling him, could somebody please just get rid of the brown snake? It has outlived its usefulness. It is now doing the reverse of what it should do. And Hezekiah had the courage to smash it into pieces, Scripture says knowing that the Lord has something better for us. See, this is the thing. When the Lord puts his hand to our little sacred cows, and again, they might have been something that started as a great thing in our life, a nice diversion. Uh, But if we let them hang around too long or devote too much affection to them, it becomes unhealthy. And those sacred things to us are only going to hamper us as artists and as people of God. Can we have the courage to be able to smash whatever those things are? Even things that we have good memories about and we remember back 20, 30 years ago when blah, blah, blah. If the Lord says, okay, you're done. Can we have the courage to believe that he has something better for us? Namely himself, as we give him more room in our hearts He can fill that space, and it's one less impediment to what we're making being effective and anointed. 
Well, we appreciate you being a part of the MattCast. Boy, please share this with a friend, would you? We would love to expand our MattCast family. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at mattcastworld at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information, or if you'd like to hear our archives, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time.